Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by bringing its message to complete fruition in himself. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you believe that the entire Bible is the complete, whole revelation from God, or has the New Testament obviated the Old? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part two of his current series titled, What Your View of Scripture Says About You. What you believe about both the New and the Old Testament says quite a lot about you. The Bible is held together by a common theme. God is redeeming a people by His Son, for His Son, to His own glory. That's clearly shown through the Law and the Prophets, in other words, the Old Testament, in its message that the Messiah is coming. Jesus the Messiah came to fulfill the Old Testament, and He did so by explaining it in His teaching, obeying it in His life, and embodying the Old Testament in His person. Tom will unfold some practical ramifications of that reality in today's message and how it should affect the way you live today. Let's join Tom Pennington now and find out more on The Word Unleashed. Speaking of the temple, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. That's the word. Demolished. Completely destroyed. Now when it comes to not a building, but a text, an authoritative text, it means to declare it no longer valid or binding. To demolish it, to tear it down and say, you don't have to do it. So Jesus is saying this, don't you for a moment believe the common misperception that I have come to tear down the Old Testament, either in my teaching or in my life. Whether it's the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, written by Moses, by the way, Jesus affirmed the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch, or whether it's the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. Jesus did not intend to tear the Old Testament down in his own practice by failing to keep it, nor did he intend to tear it down in his teaching by undermining its authority in the lives of God's people. William Hendrickson, the great Presbyterian commentator, says his ministry was not in collision with the Old Testament, but in harmony with it. Now, folks, as New Testament believers, we love the New Testament, don't we? We read the New Testament, that's where you spend a lot of your time, and rightly we should. But don't think that the Old Testament scriptures are any less worthy of your attention and your reading and your study. The Old Testament scriptures are as much a part of that breathed out by God as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are as much a part of the Christian faith as the New Testament. Don't forget Paul's statement in 2 Timothy 3 about the sacred writings and the scriptures being profitable was talking primarily about what? The Old Testament. Eventually, the New Testament came to be called scripture also but the Old Testament. Let me just ask you. Let me ask you a question. I want you to answer this question in your own mind. Have you even bothered to read through the Old Testament? You ever read through the Old Testament? 
You know what it says? Or are you so unfamiliar with it, you think Hezekiah is actually a book. Or like most Christians, you thank God for Psalms and Proverbs, because if it weren't for Psalms and Proverbs, you'd never go east of Matthew. Listen, the, the new has not replaced the old. They fit together to form a unified whole. In fact, let me show you something Jesus said. Turn over to Matthew 13. Jesus was talking about a scribe, someone who understood the Old Testament law, coming to genuine faith. And when that happens, look at Matthew 13, 52. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, in other words, a scribe who understood the Old Testament law, taught the Old Testament law, becomes a follower of his, That's like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. It's like you have in your house, you have treasures, heirlooms that were passed down to you from previous generations, and those are treasures to you. They're special to you. But then as you live through this life, you pick up some treasures of your own, contemporary treasures. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what it's like between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between what he's revealing and what his apostles will write and the scriptures as already written in the Old Testament. They're all treasures. That's the point. And they all ought to be treasures to us. As the Puritans used to say, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. J.C. Ryle writes, the Old Testament is the gospel in the bud, the New Testament is the gospel in full flower. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in this text, Jesus is saying to you, don't for a moment think that I have come to demolish God's revelation in the Old Testament. And we ought to live in light of that. But this passage makes a second point about the Old Testament that we need to understand. Not only did Jesus not come to abolish the Old Testament, but Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. Look at the second half of verse 17. I did not come to abolish, to tear down, to demolish, but to fulfill. It's a remarkable statement. The question is, how? How did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? And there's been a lot of ink spilled here. But let me give you the three primary possibilities. Here are the three primary explanations for what this means. Number one, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by bringing out the complete meaning of the Scripture in his teaching. A second possibility is Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by perfectly obeying the Old Testament in his life, something no one else has ever done. A third explanation is that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by bringing its message to full fruition in himself. He was the final fulfillment of all that it pointed to. Those are the three possibilities. Now look at those three for a moment. I think that all three may very well be in Jesus' mind here because all three are taught at various places in the New Testament. Here, primarily, he's focusing on one of them, but I think all three are in the background of his mind. 
Let's consider them one at a time. Let's take the first one. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by bringing out its complete meaning in his teaching. This one I know is true. In the context, it's clear because the rest of chapter 5 illustrates this very point. In a series of six stunning examples, Jesus shows how badly the Jewish people of the first century understood the Old Testament and how they should have understood it. Let me just show you a couple. Look back at chapter 5, verse 21. Right after this paragraph, next thing he says, verse 21, you have heard, the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. They knew the Old Testament. That's one of the commands. They understood this was God's law given by God, his own mouth from Mount Sinai, one of the ten words. They understood that. And whoever commits murder, notice that's in lowercase, shall be liable to the court. So this was their spin on it. Basically, all it means is this. This is what they said. All it means is, listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never taken an instrument and killed someone, taken their life, then God's good with you. It's great. You can move on to the next command. Jesus says, no, not true. Look at the next verse, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty of violating this command as far as God's concerned. And he goes on to talk about how anger expresses itself, calling people names in anger. God says, Jesus says, from God's perspective, it's not enough just not to take a gun and shoot somebody. If you take your anger and you focus it on someone, and then you take your mouth and shoot angry words at them, in God's eyes, it's just as if you were guilty of murder. Jesus says that's how you should have understood it. Look at another example, verse 27. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. True, biblical command, one of the Ten Commandments. They had said, look, if you don't actually get physically involved with another entity, another person, then you haven't violated this. You're okay. Jesus says, not true. Here's what God really meant, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Those are two of six examples Jesus is going to make to show what they should have understood the Old Testament to be, but they had been badly taught. So in the teaching of Jesus, we learn the true divine intention behind the Old Testament. By the way, I'm on really good ground here and in good company. Martin Luther says, he speaks here of fulfilling that is accomplished by teaching. John Calvin writes, the question here is a fulfilling by teaching. So there's no question in the context, in the voice of church history, this first one Jesus has definitely got in mind in this passage. When he says, I came to fulfill it, he came to fill out its meaning. Think about it. Jesus as the Messiah He alone has the right to make a definitive exposition of the Old Testament, and he does it here. There's a second possibility, and I think it's also included in what Jesus says here when he says, I fulfill the Old Testament. And that is he fulfilled it by perfectly obeying it. Jesus never felt compelled to keep the Pharisees' rules and traditions but he always kept the Old Testament in the way God intended it to be kept. 
You understand that? When he broke their little rules, those weren't God's rules. Those were their interpretations, and they weren't understanding it properly. But he always kept God's law. Listen to Matthew. I won't take you through these texts and have you turn, but listen to them. Matthew 3.15. Jesus says to John the Baptist, I want you to baptize me. It's fitting for us to do this so that we will fulfill, there's our word, all righteousness. That is, by doing this, we will be keeping God's requirements. By the way, what was John's baptism? A baptism of what? Repentance. God required his people to repent in preparation for the Messiah. You say, well, Jesus didn't need to repent. Why was he baptized? I believe this is a different message for a different time. It was vicarious repentance. You and I have never adequately repented for our sins, but Jesus did in our place, just like he did everything else in our place. Different, different story, different message. John eight forty six. Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? you imagine standing up in front of a group of biblical scholars and saying, okay, point out a single sin I've committed? They couldn't do it. He kept the law. Or listen to this remarkable statement. John 15, 10. I have kept my Father's commandments. Wow. Galatians 4, verse 4. It says, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. That is, born responsible to God's law, to keep it. So that he could redeem those who were also born under the law, but didn't keep it. So he fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled it by perfectly obeying it, and he's the only one who ever has. You know, as you sit here this morning, you benefit from this great reality. If you're in Christ, you have never, ever kept God's law. Do you know that? If you've been here any time, you've heard me say that before. Let me say it so you get it. Have you ever in one moment in your life perfectly loved God with all your heart, soul, and mind? No, you haven't. Neither have I. Have you ever a single moment in your life measured up to the standard of loving someone else like you love yourself? No, you haven't. Neither have I. But Jesus did perfectly every moment of his life. And according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that perfect righteous life becomes mine. It's imputed to my account, credited to my account at the moment of salvation. There's a third way Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament by bringing its message to complete fruition in himself. Matthew, by the way, loves to use the word fulfill like that. He uses it ten times to speak of something the Old Testament pointed to that has now become a reality. One particular text I want you to notice, though, that I think will add some insight here. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus says of John, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What does that mean? I remember when I was in seminary, I had to write a paper on that verse, and, and I was struck with it. Basically, what, what John the Apostle is writing here is that desperate men and women 
who desperately want the forgiveness Jesus offered, who desperately wanted to be in his kingdom. It's as if they were storming the castle, knocking on the door, please let me in. It's like the first beatitude, beggar in spirit. Please, you've got to give this to me. They were storming the kingdom, as it were. But then notice the next verse, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Anything strike you as strange about that verse? We know that the prophets prophesy, right? But Jesus here says the law prophesied. The first five books of the Old Testament prophesied. It all prophesied. That means the entire Old Testament was pointing to and prophesying about Jesus. And so Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament in that sense. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in all of its prophecies about the Messiah. That's documented throughout the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Jesus also was the reality to which the ceremonies of the Old Testament pointed. Paul says to the Corinthians, Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus also fulfilled the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. We read about that in Hebrews 10 this morning. He was the one to whom all of those sacrifices pointed. He fulfilled it all. Let me show you this. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. Jesus said this about himself. First on the Emmaus Road, to the two Emmaus Road disciples. Luke 24, verse 25. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, so the entire Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He says, here, it's, it's to Jesus, it's to the one who's died. Scriptures all said this, he fulfilled it all. And then he meets with his disciples, down in verse 44. He tells them the same thing. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, here's our word, fulfilled. I fulfilled it all. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for that lesson? And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead All this is written in the Old Testament and rise again the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. It's all come to fruition, to fulfillment. Now you saw it. Jesus says, I fulfilled it. I fulfilled it all. In John 5, verse 39, Jesus says, the scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, testify about me. Look at Colossians chapter 2. I love the image in this. I remember when I first saw it in the Greek text. It's a little bit hidden in the English text, but I'll show you. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 16. Paul has just said back in verse 14 that when Jesus died, we were forgiven all of our transgressions. And what were our transgressions? Verse 14. It was a certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. What's that? 
You owed God obedience to all of his decrees. I did as well, and we didn't keep them. And so we accumulated with God a certificate of debt. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when Jesus died, your certificate of debt was nailed to the cross and canceled. Therefore, verse 16, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Now he gets into the ceremonial laws. He says, because of what Jesus did at the cross, because that certificate of debt against you was canceled, don't let anybody judge you whether or not you eat clean or unclean foods, whether you keep the festival of the new moon and the Sabbath day. By the way, there are those who believe in a Christian Sabbath, and they say this means special Sabbaths. Let me just challenge you with something. This, this is what changed my mind on the whole Sabbath issue, because after all, it is one of the Ten Commandments, right? But here, Paul specifically lists three things, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. I challenge you to find wherever those three things occur together in Scripture, the annual festival, the monthly new moon, and the Sabbath, always, always, without exception, it's talking about the weekly Sabbath. Paul says, don't let anyone judge in respect to that. Because those are, watch this, a shadow of what is to come, but the, notice the marginal reference to the word substance. The body, literally, belongs to Christ. You get the picture? It's like somebody's coming. You can't see them yet, but you see their shadow there. And you can, you can see certain things about their shadow about them from their shadow. You can see whether they're tall or short, whether they're wide or narrow. You can see certain things through the shadow, but you don't really get a full picture of the person. But when the person shows up, when the body arrives, shadow is just a shadow. It's still helpful. It's still there. It's still a reality. But the body is Christ. He is the fulfillment of all of those ceremonial things. He fulfilled the Old Testament. D.A. Carson writes, Jesus does not conceive of his life and ministry in terms of opposition to the Old Testament, but in terms of bringing to fruition that to which it points. Michael Wilkin writes, Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament in that it all points to him, not only in specific predictions, but also in its sacrificial system, in the laws which only he perfectly obeyed, in the wisdom literature which set forth a behavioral pattern that only his life exemplified. Jesus' gospel of the kingdom does not replace the Old Testament, but rather fulfills it as Jesus' life and ministry coupled with his teaching complete the meaning of the Old Testament. This coming week, let me challenge you to meditate on the richness of this one magnificent verse, Matthew five seventeen, Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament. And he did so by explaining the true meaning of the Scripture and his teaching, by obeying it perfectly in our place, and by bringing the entire message of the Old Testament to completion and fruition in himself. Let me put it another way. Jesus explained the Old Testament in his teaching He obeyed the Old Testament in his life, and he embodied the Old Testament in his person. No wonder the Apostle John called him the living word. Take take a look at that Bible you hold in your hand. You understand that that Bible is a complete revelation from God? It is held together by a common theme 
God is redeeming a people by His Son, for His Son, to His own glory. In the Old Testament, the message is, He's coming, He's coming. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, it's, He came. In Acts and the Epistles, it's, He came and here's what it means. And in Revelation, it's, He's coming again. But it's God's revelation. Do not think, Jesus says, that I came to demolish the Old Testament revelation. I did not come to demolish it, but I came to fulfill it. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part two of What Your View of Scripture Says About You. Tom will have part three for us next time, and we do hope you'll join us then. Does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church? In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.